My name is Scott Challoner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very chilly winter morning here in the capital once again, um, but hopefully joining me on the programme today to add some real warmth and brightness to affairs is Tim Harvard-Sweeting, and Tim is an independent psychotherapist working in private practice. Uh, Tim, very warm welcome to yourself, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Hello, good morning, Scott. Yeah, very happy to be here. Likewise, Tim, it's a real pleasure having you with us as well. Um, Now, I understand, uh, just to sort of contextualise for the listeners that might not be familiar with yourself, um, you are a psychotherapist, you work in private practice, um, and it goes back to your sort of your training at uh, the University of Nottingham, doesn't it, where you realised quite early on, I suppose, that the work that you were doing was having a significant impact on people's lives, and I guess it's sort of built up from there, hasn't it? Yes, sure. Um, um, I've been in practice for... A few short years, I suppose, before the COVID thing hit, and I think that that um, experience of COVID and of people going through COVID has um, has been, you know, um, quite important. I think for the work that I've been doing, it's been, it's been a tremendous theme, and continues to be so. Yes, exactly. It's had a real effect on sort of the mental and physical health side of things, hasn't it? The uh, the pandemic, and I suppose we're much more aware of our own mortality and. When we certainly think about the mind, that's it's thrown up a few very, very interesting things over the uh, the last couple of years. Not always positive things. So, what sort of impact have you seen on some of the people that you've been working with? Well, I suppose one thing that springs to mind is um, a general you know, kind of lack of confidence or or um, social anxiety, perhaps. You know, people. I've suddenly found themselves scared to leave the house or scared to drive again or scared to visit the shops again. Um, you know, things that they never had problems with, but um, a, a long period of, of, of isolation um, seems to have had that effect with many people. Um, what, what I'm not seeing so much of quite yet, and I think what a lot of us in the profession are worried about, are things like, um, you know, the domestic violence mm. and the and the suicidality and you know the really um um you know more more serious and more uh, i suppose dramatic and and um tragic end of the whole thing and i think many of us are expecting some you know, some some quite statistically significant changes in in what people um are suffering with you know and how it's affecting them yeah, um, people have been talking a lot, haven't they, about a sort of looming mental health crisis. And we've seen some services have sort of been stretched as we sort of came out of the first couple of lockdowns. But again, I think we're still yet to see quite a lot of the after effects of the pandemic from that side of things, the domestic violence victims, those people that maybe still yeah. don't feel like they can actually come out of the house. Well, sure, sure. And, um, and there are also concerns about... Um, the impacts on young people and children. Mm. Um, you know, um, are they have the infants and the babies and the toddlers had enough social exposure you know, for their age and during that crucial developmental period? Are the children um, being adversely affected by having to wear masks and to, to socially distance? Like, you know, these are quite subtle things. And and at the time, perhaps when when everything's carefully marshaled and organised, we don't really. We don't really notice the human um, 
you know, the suffering or the distress. Um, that can kind of um, make itself apparent some way down the track, you know. So it's, um, I think in many ways it's been a very, very uh, difficult and, and even traumatic experience for many people. Yeah, it certainly has. And obviously what the government has been doing in response to that is putting more funding into mental health services. But it's very clear that this isn't just going to be sort of a two to three year solution, depending on how much funding they're putting into this. It's going to have to be a very long term thing, isn't it, to try and stave off a severe mental health crisis as a result of COVID, because the, the, the things that we've seen, they're going to be affecting people for a very, very long time, it seems. Yes, and let's remember that we were talking, um, you know, um, perennially about an ongoing mental health crisis before COVID came along, and mm. we were talking about how the government funding for mental health support was was nowhere near even, um, you know, I don't even know what the word would be, but it's, it's, it's disgracefully... Um, difficult to access proper support through the state sector. Uh, you know, luckily, there are a great many counsellors and therapists out there who who don't charge very much, but really, I mean, uh, it should be possible for people to access um, support on the NHS for no charge. Yeah, I think it's, it's crucial, isn't it, that we do make those sort of state support and mental health services far more accessible. But I suppose with the backlog that the NHS is currently facing, it's going to be very difficult for them to do that. So I suppose that in some way, shape or form, private providers are going to have a very, very important part to play in all of this. But also responsibility is going to be falling on other parts of the state sector, like schools as well. I mean, we're already seeing a lot of them actually providing the mental health services on behalf of the uh, the NHS. So, like I say, it seems that the buck is being sort of passed on to everybody else to a degree, doesn't it? Yeah, and I also worry that the whole mental health picture is, you know, from a political perspective, we see it in a rather kind of reactive sense. We see it as something to be responded to. And, um, you know, we think about um, diagnosing and treatment. We don't think about prevention, you know. Um, I think we're going to realise that we perhaps might have been encouraging people to get out to the gym during COVID because that would very probably have done them, um, on average, more good than staying in. Or, you know, the quality of diet or, or, or meaning in people's lives, you know. Do you have a, do you have a job that's, well, yeah, do you have a job to start with or do you have a job that's vaguely meaningful to you? Do you have um, a, 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 a meaningful circle of friends? You know, do you have massive financial difficulties? You know, the, 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 the structure of modern life where everyone is encouraged to address everything by overthinking about it um, was already um, predisposing an awful lot of people to, to, to a degree of difficulty and distress, which um, you know, I think historically is, is um, you know, it's quite unprecedented. Mm. It's, it certainly is, and... Uh... We've talked a bit about obviously the negatives of uh, COVID and uh, how sort of that has exacerbated the mental health crisis that was already there. However, I suppose there are one or two positives in the sense that we are now much more aware of our own mental health and our own physical health. And so in some ways, it is important that we use this as a watershed moment, isn't it, to really address this problem and make sure that we're not facing a situation as severe as this again. So... We could make a positive out of it, but it's entirely dependable as to how we approach it, isn't it? 
It is, it is, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be changing the structure of the modern Western life, um, unfortunately, too much. You know, um, so it's one thing to be, you know, to be very concerned about, um, you know, um, to take a dramatic example, um, preventing people from committing suicide. But you know, that's a bit like kind of waiting at the bridge for them, isn't it? You know, um, what can we do in society to actually help them? Um, build lives which are inherently more meaningful to start with, I, I think is has got to be the core political question. Mm. Yeah, of course, because with mental health, I mean, we talk, we talk about with physical conditions, prevention rather than treatment, and the same goes for mental health as well. And I think maybe for some reason or another, people haven't necessarily looked upon mental health as that way. It's almost as if, you know, we're waiting for the problems to arise and then we're trying to address them as and when they become apparent, but it that, that that perhaps shouldn't be the way, should it? We should maybe like channel this awareness that we're now having and sort of use that to make sure that our lives are more meaningful and when there are signs that things are not quite as they should be, that can be addressed far, far more quickly with the appropriate services in place to help do that. Sure, sure. Um, my own, um, I suppose, personal instinct or preference would be that, that this shouldn't be for the state in, in any shape or form, really, to to um, to help people regulate their emotions. Um, perhaps we might one day have a society in which you know the average person um, feels that their job is meaningful enough to actually want to do it, and feels that their family life is is doable enough to want to go home in the evening, and you know. Um, in general, um, I think prevention is going to be much, much more important. You know, it's all very well saying, you know, we need to increase taxes and to increase government expenditure. And fine, yeah, sure, you know, that can really make a big, big difference. But, but how do we stop people from um, from becoming distressed in the first place? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I suppose something that we have seen as well over the course of the uh, the last two years is that particularly within businesses and organisations that have been quite heavily affected by the pandemic. We have seen, of course, mental health issues amongst people's workforces, but we've also seen it amongst those at the top as well. And maybe business leaders are an especially sort of um, relevant group of people in the sense that they are looking after a lot of people's mental health besides their own and perhaps guilty of not taking enough time to take a step back for themselves as and when they need it. And we've talked an awful lot about this within the Leaders' Council, our organisation, over the uh, the last year or so. Um, how would you sort of propose that somebody in sort of a leadership role who is feeling that pressure can actually sort of step back and be able to unwind when they need to? Do you sort of have any recommendations or techniques from that perspective? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because um, I think these tend to be the people who are happy to devote 80 hours a week, <laughs> mm. year in, year out, to their career. And, um, you know, they're go, go, go people who perhaps um, arguably um, aren't necessarily going to be the most, um, shall we say, in touch with what they're feeling. And I think that's the key for, you know, for anyone at any level, really, is can you, can you be honest with yourself about what it is you're going through emotionally? And, you know, can you, can you allow yourself to hear the alarm bells and hopefully make some adjustments to your life? Um, in terms of leadership, yeah, obviously it's becoming much more of a, um, an issue that's okay to talk about, you know. Um, 
like many things in recent decades, it, it is all right to declare that you've had um, psychological difficulty. I don't really like the term mental illness. I think that's mm. a um, you know, that's a medical metaphor, really, for um, for a difficult state that somebody might get in at some point in their life for whatever reason. But yeah, certainly it's it's become a lot more acceptable um, to um, to to talk about it and to ask for help. Um, but I think that takes us perhaps to the most important thing, which is it's the quality of people's relationships and their you know their interrelationships that I think is perhaps the most important thing. And workplaces are so incredibly stressful for so many people, and so many managers um, do seem to be rather ogreish. And the quality of people's experience in the workplace is um, so um, predisposed to distress and anxiety and depression and, and, and burnout and meaninglessness that um, I think that's maybe the bigger question, isn't it? You know, what can we do with the entire corporate model, if you like? Um, can we ever get to a point where where the average person actually wants to go to work and doesn't spend most of the year looking forward to their holiday. Yeah. And that'd be good. It would be certainly. And I think there are signs that that is starting to, uh, to change because I think people do appreciate a little bit of authenticity and a little bit of vulnerability from their leadership. And in what is a very difficult environment for recruitment right now as well, what we are seeing is that the demands from prospective employees are also starting to shift. I think they're a lot more conscious of whether their prospective employers do have well-being policies at the forefront of what they're doing and they are looking after the mental yeah. health of, of everybody involved. And if they're not doing that, then quite simply and utterly, you're not going to be able to tap into that pool of talent that's out there. So there are signs that it is changing times from that respect and hopefully for the positive. Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm noticing that a lot of companies have got quite, you know, quite impressive um, programs of support. You know, um, um, the number of of, of um, free counselling sessions, for example, provided to employees, um, in many cases, is you know, is a sensible number. It's not the paltry four or five, or perhaps if you're lucky, six that might kind of get you halfway through what you need, but won't get you all the way through. Which um, you know, whether it's in the state sector or the private sector, is is yeah, it's kind of dangerous, I suppose, to leave someone sort of feeling that they've been half, half, um, you know, what's the word? Yeah, half addressed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they have to try to follow up on their own somehow after being left in the lurch after just a few sessions. Yeah, so that's great. That's a great thing. But I do think. Um, the key word you just mentioned it there in passing, I suppose, was authenticity. You know, how do we um, how do we regulate the individual's need to you know to be themselves, to feel heard and understood as an authentic individual in a world which seems to really require a kind of false outer shell from people? Um, and, you know, they'll go through their day thinking and speaking in automatic ways, and very often not really feeling like they're properly touching the world. They're not properly being heard. They're not feeling fully authentic. And, you know, we talk about various forms of togetherness and shared value, but I think um, a lot of that pressure can stultify people's individuality. So there's always going to be, you know, there is in therapy, and I think there should perhaps be in, in the corporate sector a, a an appreciation for the, 
delicate balance between authenticity and um, you know, the presence of culture, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to get the best from people, then we have to let them be themselves. And how do we do that? Exactly. That is a huge question, isn't it? And it's going to be one that we have to sort of really keep a close eye on over the course of the next few months and indeed years as we start to sort of see the scale of what kind of mental health crisis we're faced with as a result of the uh, the pandemic. And as that starts to become more and more apparent, uh, Tim, um, I'd be interested to understand what some of your hopes and ambitions are over the next 12 months and beyond as we hopefully move out of the acute phase of the pandemic and embrace that challenge in the post-COVID world. What is um, on the horizon for you? Yeah, well, and I guess firstly, and I've been very lucky, I suppose. I've been very busy. I, I seem to have a lot more clients um, than many um, therapists, so I haven't suffered some, but I, I don't see too much rebuilding in terms of you know, the amount of um, business that I see. And I've always done an awful lot of my work online um, in the UK and, and overseas. So I, I guess I've been very lucky compared to many therapists. Um, but I do think, well, I think I, I think we're seeing it already. Um, a lot of people are now um, seeking help about the issues that we spoke about at the start. Um, you know, the sudden change in their life. Why am I so anxious about driving or walking to the end of the road? You know, why am I suddenly unable to cope with workplace relationships when this stuff has been, you know. Um, second nature for me for 20 years you know why why am i suddenly falling out with my spouse and and my children um so i i think in the next year or two you know provided that we don't get into any more big lockdowns if we do assume that that the worst of all of this is over then i think that's what we're going to start seeing yeah, and it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how that pans out, isn't it, over the uh, the next uh, few months and indeed years. And since there are still so, so many variables in all of this, Tim, as we start to see how that situation unfolds, I'd actually relish the opportunity to welcome you back onto the show and talk about this very issue again in future, just to see how the situation is developing, because it is an important thing to keep an eye on. It's going to be absolutely critical, and let's just sort of see what happens with it. Yeah, I'd like that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's something that I'd really enjoy as well. Um, I've really thoroughly enjoyed having you on the programme with us today, Tim. I have to say it's been incredibly enlightening and very thought-provoking as well. I'm sure the listeners share that sentiment. And by all means, until next time, do take care and stay safe with all that is still going on in the world because we're not quite out of this yet, but fingers crossed that uh, better days are ahead of us. Fingers crossed. Well, thank you very much for your time. And, And we'll speak to you hopefully again soon. Absolutely. Um, it was an immense pleasure welcoming Tim no, Harvard's meeting. It's, yeah. it's been a complete pleasure to join you. Yeah, it's, you. Been, it's been a wonderful pleasure, Tim. Thank you. And to all of the all listeners right. tuning in as well, um, I do hope that you thoroughly enjoyed the interview with Tim Harvard's meeting just as much as I. And if you, of course, run your own business or organisation and feel that you have your own story to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we, we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and until next time to all of our regular listeners please do take care and goodbye